Hi, I'm Jason from California, and I love country line dancing. That's Jason, the Global Director of Student Life at Minerva. This week, we're diving deep into Jason's story on humans of Minerva. Welcome to Humans of Minerva, a podcast which captures the interesting stories of humans at Minerva. I'm your host, Jules, and today I'll be sitting down with Jason, the Global Director of Student Life. Hi, Jason. Hi, Jules. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining us today. So actually, I want to like, right, go back to your, your fun fact. So you like country line dancing. What is country line dancing and how come? Country line dancing is something I picked up about 10 years ago when I was in my master's program. And I never really liked going clubbing, but I grew up on country music. And so I found a really great community of people who love country music and would do country line dancing. So half of it is partner dancing, where you kind of dancing circles with partners, and the other half is like line dancing or square dancing, where everyone dances in a grid. And it's a lot of good energy and laughing and fun, but also some coordination and skill. Okay, that sounds actually quite fun. So when was your first contact with country music? Maybe like going further back? Like Oh, I've always, I've always known country music. It's what I grew up on. I grew up in a very small town, raising sheep on a walnut orchard. And so when the radio was on, when we were in the car and we were at someone's house, there's always country music in the background. Okay. Okay. So it was like a very like close and a small community. It is. Yeah. My town had no stoplights and about 3000 people and I knew everyone. So we had like four antique shops, three hair salons and no grocery store. Yeah. So <laughs> probably most of the people also like went to universities or like places nearby kind of like, cause they were so connected with the local community. Is that what you did as well? Kind of. My high school had about a hundred people in it. And of the hundred of us, I think about eight of us went to college. Oh, okay. And everyone else kind of stayed and worked at the dairy or on the farm, or they found trade jobs or local jobs. So I come from a rural community, which did not lend itself to going to college very easily. Okay. So as you went to college, what did you do? Like, yeah, what did you do? Interestingly what? enough, my major at first was agricultural sciences, because I grew up on the land and I loved the land and I always thought it'd be a part of my life. <clears throat> and my first year in college, I was in an English class. And a professor asked me to stay at her class one day. And he said, you write and you read and express yourself so well, you should think about getting a minor degree in literature or English. And the next day I switched for a major change and went from ag sciences to English because I love to read, I love to write, and it was part of, a big part of my identity growing up as I always had a book in my hand. Okay, so the next day, <clears throat> right next day, you're like... I'm I knew, like, yeah, I felt right at that time. <laughs> okay, that's so cool. So you did your bachelor in English literature? That's correct. And then went on? Went on to do my master's degree, also in English literature. And I always thought I would become a professor. I love literature. My areas of emphasis were 20th century American lit, the enlightenment and old English. And um, I really wanted to teach, but I did a lot of work as a grad student and an undergrad working with students both within the classroom, outside of the classroom, but I really love working with students outside of the classroom. I was an RA for three years, and I was also a grad assistant, and I was working with student communities and clubs as a grad student, and I really found my passion in supporting student growth outside of that classroom arena, which ultimately led me to getting my doctorate in educational leadership. Okay, so tell me more about your, your doctor. When did you like start your doctorate program? Gosh, I started my doctorate program back in 2018, and Minerva played a big influence on me pursuing my doctorate program. When I was very young, in about eighth grade, I had pen pals who lived in Germany. And actually, maybe younger than that, we wrote for about five years back and forth. 
And by the time I got to high school, I wanted to go visit them. And my parents were like, why would you want to leave the U.S.? Everything's here. And without telling them, I applied for a scholarship to go live overseas as an exchange student for a year. And I made it to the final round of applicants and told my parents at that point that they had to drive me to Los Angeles for the interview. And I ended up being one of nine participants to get the scholarship in California. And that kind of set me on a track where I lived overseas and got to experience part of the world that was unlike myself and really opened my mind to going from a US-centric to a very holistic and global-centric perspective. And so coming into my doctorate program, I had been interested in global exploration, global learning, and working at Minerva for a number of years by that point really encouraged me to keep diving into this topic. So maybe going back from that again, how did you find out about Minerva? So you did your yeah. master's in English literature again. Yeah. Well, really, you got kind of passionate about like working with students. Yeah, what happened in between? Oh, a lot happened. A lot happened in between. It's been a great journey. I did my undergrad at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, so in California. And then when I went to my master's program, it was in Northern California, close to where I'm from. Mm -hmm. And when I was finishing my thesis project, my master's, I had moved down to Los Angeles. And I had lived down there for about five years, and I was doing some work at Valley's College in Northwood, mostly volunteer at different universities, and kind of exploring this passion of mine. And I saw a job at Minerva for a residence hall manager back in 2016. And it was someone who would kind of work tangentially with students, but also work within the housing operations. And I had always been very operationally minded, but I love that Minerva was a place that was so intercultural and bringing students from around the world. Their model of active learning was inspiring, but I was really drawn by learning from the world around you model. And so I applied for the job and I got it. And that was kind of my start with Minerva almost seven years ago. Well, so you kind of have to help me out there, like 2016, right? 2016. At, like on what stage was Minerva uh, in 2016? Minerva, so the very first class, M19, was just finishing their first year. And so that graduating class of 2020, which is Minerva's second graduating class, was entering that year. So my foundation week with them was the second foundation week that we had had at that time. So as in the earlier days of Minerva, a lot has changed since then. Mm -hmm. We've obviously become much bigger. We had never rotated to a city before I came to Minerva. Okay. So students had only been in San Francisco. So the staffing was a different model back then. A lot has developed. Stephen Costling, the founding dean, was the, the dean back then as well. Oh, um, wow, yeah. Like, I remember just encountering his learning principles again this yeah. week in class. So. So you know him personally. Yes, we, we used to work together in each year every day. I used to see him, brilliant man, wonderful vision. And, you know, he was a big part of the impetus and catalyst that put Minerva on the tracks of its learning model and, and trajectory that it's now moving through still today. So cool. So what was the first rotation city that Minerva went to? Was it Seoul? No, it was Berlin. Oh, okay. So students, the original rotation was to go to Berlin and Buenos Aires first. And back then, we were still looking at staffing structures and how we are supporting students. We look at this continually. It's a big part of what I do in my day to day is mm -hmm. how are we seeing students succeed? And the rotation was Berlin and Buenos Aires. And when class of M20 finished their first year as students, they then went to Seoul. And we decided to bring the class of M20 and M19 to the same cities. Um, so those classes merged to the same cities for one year. And after that year, we kind of saw that going to Seoul and Hyderabad as second-year cities worked quite well, whereas Buenos Aires and Berlin 
felt better as third-year cities. And so we actually ended up retaining that model. Okay. So you were residential, like residential, residential? Yeah, I think residential hall manager was my yeah. official title for the first year. And then after the first year, what did you what did you do after that? Then I became the residential life coordinator. So we went through this like taxonomy of names and roles that kind of evolved very slowly. My duties didn't change a whole lot. They became a little bit less operations oriented and more about student success and overseeing the RA teams and working with students. I lived in residence with students here for about three and a half years. Oh wow. Okay. So I actually lived in residence with almost every class up until I ended up going to Berlin in twenty nineteen with the class of 2021 for a semester. So then you went to Berlin and like, what did, what did you do? Like, what was your job there? Yeah, it's a great question. Stepping back from that. So I went to Berlin in 2019. In 2018, I flew to London to go help out the staff there. One of the staff had left in the middle of the semester. They needed some more support. So I went there to support the, the team. And while I was there, there was an emergency in Berlin and they required support, so I flew from London to Berlin to help out the team. What kind of emergency? There was a, a lapse of coverage and staffing due to personal staffing reasons. Mm. And so I went there to help put on an event and help with move out. And I had such a great time in Berlin. I speak German and I lived there as an exchange student, a study in college. And I had such a great time and Barbara Balder and I got along really well that when I came back to the U.S., she asked me to come there for a semester the next year. And I said, absolutely. So that was in the fall of 2019 that I went to Berlin and lived with the class of 2021 for a semester. And I was essentially the kind of residential director or residential like manager for, for Berlin and supporting students, putting on programs, engaging in the city, looking at leadership opportunities for student communities and residential assistance, okay. all that jazz. And then when you came back to the, to the, yeah, to the US, you went promoted, I guess? Yes, I came back in early 2020, right before COVID hit, and became the director of San Francisco. And at that point, I was overseeing the staff here in the city, making sure that we were connecting students to amazing partners, amazing experiences, looking at the support structures that we in the city have in place so that students can not just survive, but also thrive. And I've kind of continued in that role and also adopted the global director role since then. So yeah. what is one thing you love most about your job? Ooh, that's a great question. That's actually changed over the years. When, when I was living in with students, I saw them every day. I was in the presence with them. I, I, we would be in the hallway of night talking. We would pray at night. We would share stories. There would be that immediate impact of me being on site and providing that care and comfort and immediate resource. Yeah. What I enjoy now is I get to, I, I love working with the staff that I oversee who now have that impact on students and who are now working to really encourage students in their development at thinking about how they can help them succeed, whether it's through meeting amazing partners or whether it's knowing how to get in touch with counseling or whether it's knowing exactly what experiences they want to engage in or being thoughtful about their intention in the cities. So I would say it's the impact I continue to have on students, but now through the way that I can support other staff to do that. Okay, that's very cool. Maybe on the other end, what is one thing you hate most about your job? <laughs> Dangerous question. There's, I don't think there's anything I hate about my job. I think perhaps <laughs> a, a challenge of working at Minerva is because we are so global, mm -hmm. and because I am a global director, I meet with India and Taiwan at you know five or six a.m. sometimes, or I have midnight meetings at times. You know, for for us to have like a global call across four or even seven cities is quite difficult. 
And so the work-life balance, I think, is precarious for everyone to figure out how that works for them. And I think I figured it out by giving myself permission to step away when I have downtime. And maybe that's in the middle of the day at 2 p.m. and I take like a 90-minute break to go on a jog or to go ride a bike or to just meditate. I love to read fantasy novels, so that's my easy escape at times. But I would say figuring out a balance with Minerva has and can use to be something that I navigate continuously. So if you didn't need to make money, uh -uh. what would you do? What would you do all day long? If I didn't need to make money, probably for the first three months, I'd go read on the island somewhere. <laughs> and then I'd probably get bored. And I want to have purpose in my life. I think purpose and the thing that, that drives us is, is so important to who we are and our identity. I think I would want to continue to have an impact. I've always thought of myself as a lifelong learner. And so the pursuit for learning languages or learning cultures, I think would be something I always want to do. I love to travel, not for the sake of traveling, but for the sake of meeting people from around the world. So I'm sure traveling would, would be a big part of it. I like to think that I would want to stay invested in education, whether it being a lecture or just engaging with students or looking at ways to improve the success for students in the future. That is the future of the world. And as we look towards the, the crisis and challenges of social inequity and climate change and all of these big looming problems, I think we as educators and we as those who can impact the next generation have a responsibility to do so. Okay, going back from that maybe to back back to Minerva, mm -hmm. kind of like so. I have a couple of questions on like how how do you think like the university has changed? Mm. Like, yeah, what is maybe like the biggest thing that has changed since you joined Minerva? Oh gosh, the biggest thing that's changed. I think we've become less of an experiment and more normalized and institutionalized. So when I got here, the first class was finishing their first full year, and the class of M20 was just beginning to matriculate. And the question was, is this real? Is this happening? What's the impact? Is it going to succeed? And we've now seen some amazing graduates that emerged from Minerva, people who are thinking critically and trying to provide real solutions to the global community. So I guess this is a way of saying that in some ways we've normalized, in some ways we've like proven that what we're doing is working. We were now independently accredited. And so we're in a place of much more stable footing. Yes, there's been changes to academic policies and housing policies and you know the rotation policies. There lots of things have changed in, in increments, but we've now gotten to a place where we know what we're doing is working. And that doesn't mean we're gonna stop iterating and developing and correcting and improving but we're at a place that feels very stable, yeah. which, and I just want to express my admiration for the classes of M19 and M20 and M21 students who came in before we had graduates. And they were like, well, what's going on? Is this going to work? Like, it's so much courage going into that movement. How did that work? Like, where you just, how did they, how did they learn about Minerva? Well, there's kind of two answers there. The class of M19 is actually composed of two different classes. The first 26 students called the founding class. And the founding class came in, and these were 26 students who were willing to take a giant risk on this new idea and this big experiment, looking to really contribute to developing globally-minded students. And it was exciting, and it was kind of wild, and it was almost like a startup feel of, of wanting to try something new. And those 26 students went through the first year, and back then there were assignments due every day. 
I mean, every day. There were city experiences twice a week. There, there was a lot happening. Same as you every day. Every day, yes. And so you can imagine having, you know, one assignment due every two weeks. Now is much different than it was back then. And these students struggled through it and went through it. And they were meeting with their senior council every day, talking about their experiences and how Forum, which was back then called ALF, Active Learning Forum, and they were still kind of like tweaking all these systems. And then that, those 26 students went through, and then the next class came in, and this is called the inaugural class. And they did their first year, and it's a class of around 80 or 90. The FC, the founding class, and the IC inaugural class merged to become M19. So the, the, the founding class, they kind of did, went to the hope, like, hope program another, like another time they did the first year twice. So they, they did the first year and they all took a gap year. Oh, okay. And then they, they merged with the IC. And the IC came in in 2015 and FC came in in 2014. And so by 2016, they had both merged and now they were on their way to Berlin in year two. That's so interesting. Would you consider yourself as a global citizen? No one's ever asked me that. And I, I don't know. I, it's, it's funny, I, when I did my dissertation research, I asked all my participants this question. And it's something right, that's, yeah. that's never been thrown back at me. I would say I'm, I would say it's probably a journey, not a destination. And mm -hmm. I, you know, I'm still on that journey. Have you been to all of the Manila rotation cities yet? I have not. So I've been to, I have not been to our three cities in Asia, which to me is like heartbreaking because I really want yes. to go. And I believe I'll be going to one in this semester. I spent a few weeks in, in Nepal last year as well. And I have a lot of appreciation for the cultural differences and all the locals I met and the stories I shared with some families and going to temple and on hikes and just, again, a very culturally humble experience. But I have not been to Hyderabad, Seoul, or Taiwan. Right. You could come with us, you know, right? I'm trying. Doing <laughs> doing all that sort of stuff. That's what I'm saying. Okay, so maybe it's time to move on to a fast fire round of question. Okay. So you said you like reading fantasy, right? I do love reading fantasy. Okay, so what's your favorite fantasy novel right now? Ooh, my favorite fantasy novel. Right now, I'm actually rereading the Mistborn series by Brandon Sanderson. And it's kind of, people have this ability to, to control metals and they can control certain metals in certain ways, depending on like an affinity they have with it. Like they can push it or pull it or they can use it to hide themselves. That's, and so that's it's, interesting. It's, it's kind of mystical and fantastical, but it's, it's it's interesting. Okay, do you sometimes, I don't know, like imagine Minerva as like a fantasy story or something <laughs> like that? Because in a way, it's, it's, it's sometimes feels like it, you know? Like, I've, I've never thought of Minerva in that way. Although another book I like is by Patrick Rothfuss called Name of the Wind. And it's it's how names have power. And I think about the HCs. And whenever you see like a hashtag HC, there's as a Minerva in like a visceral and emotional response to whatever that hashtag name is. So that might, that might be as close as it gets. Oh, this is also... Do you have like a side project right now, like a novel you're working on or something like that with kids who guys on like the different side? Oh. Do I have a side project? I am actually working on an article to be published. And so it's more of an academic. One is thinking about, about global engagement and global learning. And one is actually thinking about high impact learning moments. So out of the classroom moments for students to deepen their understanding. I'd say more fun than that is I do country line dancing, like I mentioned, mm. on Sundays with a group of friends oh, so you at a local yeah. dance hall. And so that's always a blast. And I've been doing a lot of hiking as well. So I have a, a few go-to spots. And, and I really enjoy heading out to nature. 
Okay, great. <laughs> Next five question. Um, what's your favorite Minerva rotation city? Maybe after once it's been. <laughs> it's, it's such a, a difficult question. It's so unfair. When I've asked them to resist, they're like, oh, you can't ask us that. I've spent a lot of time in, in Berlin. And I, again, I lived in Germany and I spent a semester there with our students. I think there's a lot of history in Berlin and a lot of cultural context. So I would say that's a really important city to me. From talking with students, I think perhaps our most impactful city for, for the rotation might be India because it's so unfamiliar to many of the students who go there that it's a very, at first, difficult city. And through that difficulty and ambiguity comes a lot of learning around others. Yeah, something so we still can look forward to. <laughs> okay, next one. Phone calls or texting? Who texting? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay, okay. Can I, can you elaborate on this? Or it's it? probably the only modern thing about me in terms of technology, right? I'm, I don't have like a TikTok. I don't have all these new systems that students use, but I, I do. I'm, I'm more of a texter, which is like so like impersonal and I think cold. I just it's convenient. It's easy. I can do a thousand things in text, whereas a phone call is. It is nicer. I have some friends who call me all the time and I'm really bad at calling back, but I want to be better. And uh, when, I make, when I make time for it, I walk away so appreciative to have been able to, to connect. Texting is usually, I think, in you know, 2023, just a way of quicker engagement and kind of getting a message across yeah. um, without having to go too deeply. Yeah. Yeah. Sadly. <laughs> I know, yeah. I feel like you're the first, first person saying, oh, I prefer to take phone calls. Okay. If you could broadcast one message to Omanova students, what would that message be? Mm. So at, at Minerva, our students don't have to imagine what it's like to be someone else. Minervans enter into others' live reality and learn to hear voices that speak from someplace other than their own. And they do this by being able to go to other places and meet different people. And I would say my message to Minervans would be to learn with the heart and the head at the same time as you go into these cities. Because there is so much knowledge to be gathered from these people and spaces. But I think also opening up and embracing philosophy of warmth and connection and understanding to others is quite important. So people out there listening to us right now, <laughs> learn with your head and heart, right? Heart and head. Yeah, I think embracing both of those at the same time is important. Sometimes we leave one behind for the sake of the other. Yeah. That's probably very true. Okay, this is one of my favorite questions. I don't know why, but it's like just so, so it's so compact. What is your word of the day? Conundrum. If I had to choose a word, it would probably be conundrum. conundrum. It's kind of like a difficult problem or trying to overcome a difficult challenge. It was a word I learned in college, and I was like, this is a great word. And I started to use it a lot and realized that no one uses this word. And I come across it once in a while. Because as a literature undergrad, I went through a, a place of just like odd words and like zugma and conundrum and just things that you wouldn't normally hear day to day. And I just, I, I, like, I like how it's spelled. I like how it sounds. It's, it's kind of complicated and it alludes to talking about complex issues. So... Is there like any conundrum that you had to solve today? <laughs> today, thankfully, no. I think within the, the realm of Minerva, there are always challenging problems and conundrums that, that come across our, our plate. But today's been a pretty good day. Okay, okay. What are you going to do right now, like after this podcast? I, after this podcast, I am going to go walk and have coffee with a colleague. Oh, yeah, it's going to be an oat milk latte. So it sounds delicious. Dang, right, cool. cool.
So yeah, well, let's wrap this episode then. Jason, if our like audience now wants to read your dissertation or ask you more about your work as, as our like mm. global director of student life, or like just wants to dig deeper on some of the questions, what's the best way uh, for audience to reach you? Yeah, people can reach me at my email. It's probably the place where I work out of and live the most. It's Jason, J-A-S-O-N, at Minerva.edu. I'm easy to get a hold of and happy to chat about Minerva or global learning or line dancing, whatever it may be. <laughs> great, great. Yeah, then thank you so much for being on the show. It's such a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thanks thank for having you. me, Jules. Yeah. It was so nice to be here. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and automatically get notified about new episodes on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at humansofanerva.podcast for all the latest updates and announcements. And finally, special thanks to our editor, Ang Lilian, for working her magic on this episode. Thanks for listening to Humans of Minerva.